Today's episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Their new maternity stylus will help you build your pregnancy and postpartum wardrobe each step of the way. It's easy. You simply create your style profile, request a fix whenever and however often you choose, and the best part, your stylist chooses a wardrobe selection that shows up on your doorstep and you keep only what you love. Head over to motherbirth.co slash stitchfix to learn more, sign up, and even support the podcast at no extra cost to you. Welcome to Motherbirth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories, meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hello, everybody, all you mamas and ladies listening today. Um, Laura and I are both here. We're interviewing a lady with a very special story. She is going to share with us her challenging intro into motherhood and some of the really um, beautiful and redemptive parts of her story as well. So we are talking with Evan Mansky today. Evan, do you want to share a little bit more about yourself? Hi, my name is Evan and I'm so excited to be here. I live in Texas and I have two boys, ages six and eight, and my husband and I are also foster parents. Okay. Do you have any foster children with you now? Not right now. We actually just said goodbye to a placement of two little girls uh, about mm. three weeks ago. So. Mm. How so long were, were they little, with you? They were with, uh, they were with us almost five months. So yeah, it was a good, it was, it was really fun. It was hard to say goodbye, but they're doing very well. I'm very, good. very blessed. Yeah. Very blessed in my foster care journey that I've been able to follow up on all of the children and stay in contact with them. So mm. it's been really good. Yeah. That's so, so great to hear. I feel like that's, you know, so not often not the case. And we've had a few guests on the show who've talked about their foster, foster parenting journeys. And I think it's, you know, so often filled with, with heartache and, you know, uncertainty about what the future is going to be for these kids. Um, and that's got to be so hard to, to process. Yeah, I think it is. I think, I mean, it was, it was, it's just been, it's grown and it's challenged me in many ways. And it's, it's taught me a lot. It's been a wonderful experience. I, I recommend it to everybody, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, that's great. So let's, let's kind of back up to, you have a six and an eight year old now. Um, let's back up to the start of this whole motherhood journey for you. How did your, how did you, um, it, you know, decide to become a mother? What were sort of those early days of, of choosing this path for you? Okay. Well, um, I would say, um, my husband and I got married when I was 23 and, um, I guess two to three years later, we decided, um, you know, let's have a baby. I guess we had always, we always wanted a family. It was never like a unknown type deal. Um, and I remember, uh, I was kind of nervous about it because I, I wasn't very confident in my body's ability to like have a baby just because I, um, I was like a very, very late bloomer in, um, adolescence. And so like, basically I could like, um, drive a car <laughs> before, you know, I had my period. So I was a really late bloomer and I was worried about that. Um, but we got pregnant, wasn't a problem. Um, it was right before Christmas and, uh, oh my gosh, I remember 
I, um, for my mom and my dad and my in-laws, I like wrapped up a little picture of the pregnancy test and gave it to them. So excited. Oh my gosh. You know, and then, and then right after the new year, um, I, I think, I, I think it's been like nine or 10 years now, but I believe I started bleeding and I was worried about it. Um, went to the hospital and, you know, they give you that scan and they're like, well, we can't tell you anything, but you're going to have to wait like two mm-hmm. to three days and then we'll remeasure you. And of course that's upsetting, you know, cause you're like, I just want an answer right now. They're like, well, we can't detect the heartbeat yet, but you're still in that zone of, it might just be that it's too soon. So anyway, um, and I had totally forgotten about this until, um, we had corresponded, but I started miscarrying um, over the weekend and it was really, it really hurt a lot. And, um, not to get too like graphic or anything, but I started bleeding a whole lot. And, um, I went to the emergency room over the weekend. Um, and I don't really go to the emergency room a lot. I'm not one of those people that's like, I'm going to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. So went to the emergency room, they scanned me again and they're like, yeah, your lining's very thick, but this should just all work out. So this is like Saturday, Saturday. And of course I'm devastated. And I'm like bleeding, like way, 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 way a lot. Like, and they keep telling me this line about, well, if you fill up a pad, you know, yeah, in this amount of time, yeah. but then it's like, but you don't understand. I go and sit on the, you know, I go and sit down and, and that, you know, like stuff's happening and it's not, <laughs> this is not working what you're telling me. So, um, so Monday morning, I mean the whole weekend I'm like bleeding, passing these huge clots, crazy stuff is happening. I'm like, this just can't be right. Monday morning, I go into the doctor and they're like, oh no, you're hemorrhaging. Um, you need a DNC today, this afternoon, you know? Um, and so they, you know, scheduled that surgery and, and it stopped, it, it solved everything. There was a little piece of tissue in there that was just like triggering the whole cycle of flush this out, flush this out, flush this out. And so they solved that problem. So, you know, I was sad. Um, you know, it's like, the, it kind of just, kind of just stomps on your like excitement and the, the ease of which, Oh, I'm going to have a baby. Let's have a baby. It's so easy. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it can be really hard. So that happened. And, um, and you know, shook it off. Okay. You know, 20% of all babe, you know, pregnancies in miscarriage, it's not an abnormal thing it just happens. Well then, um, it happened again. And, um, that time I was just really kind of a mess. You know, I was, I was, I had a lot of unchecked anxiety and depression and I thought like getting pregnant again would help fix mm, the problem. Yeah. But it actually just made me so anxious. Um, and then that was another miscarriage and the doctor, I'd switched doctors at that point. I don't know why I didn't really have a doctor that I liked. Um, I was young and you know, just didn't, I didn't think about that enough. So I opted for a DNC on that one just because they gave me a choice. And I was like, I don't want to deal with that pain again. That hurt really bad. <laughs> um, I did that. And then, then we took a long break. Um, cause I was kind of like just having some anxiety for sure. Mm. Um, about all of it or whatever. I don't even know whatever you would call it. Just, it was, it was very, it was a bad time. You know, it was hard. And then you're like, what's wrong with my body? Why doesn't this work? You know? And, and, yeah, uh, I think especially after recurrent loss, you know, it, I think a oh, lot yeah. of people, when you have, 
your first pregnancy loss, I certainly did the same thing. And it doesn't mean that it's not painful or traumatic, but I think many people are able to convince themselves like, okay, the statistics show, you know, it's, it's so common and this it's, could happen it's to just anyone. It, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, this was just the token, you know, this was the baby I was going to lose. And, and it, it's a little bit, it can be, I shouldn't say it is, it can be easier to, to accept that in the grander scheme of things. And then once you hit, you know, subsequent pregnancy losses, then it really starts to sink in that like something's wrong and it's something that's wrong with me. <laughs> like I'm the host. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I think uh, you said it so well, Evan, it's almost like you kind of have this moment where you're like, okay, this isn't like an internal problem. Like this is just an external problem. Like everybody has this problem. And then like, uh, you know, and I think you said it so well in the sense of like, and then we did this and this is, and I thought, and I feel like I've heard this so much from women. I thought, oh, we got pregnant again. So obviously everything's fine. And I think that that can be, it can be really healing and really, really beautiful for people to have that second pregnancy. And, but for some people it's not, it's more traumatizing, it's more anxiety. And so mm-hmm. I just really appreciate you sharing that perspective. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of times people don't want to say, what would it happen? And I was actually kind of okay. And then the next time I wasn't okay. Or, you know, we almost want to put limits on like, you either have to be, you know, you, everybody has been in the same part of the spectrum, but the reality is like loss is on a huge spectrum of how you and your family experience it. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate you saying that too. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was, it was definitely, it was hard and it, it generated a lot of um, trouble in my, <laughs> but, but I took a break and, um, the trouble wasn't over yet, but I took a break. I was teaching at the time. So I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop teaching. I'm not going to try to do this whole, let's try to be pregnant and manage a classroom. I'm going to stop teaching the end of this year. And I'm going to focus on lowering my stress level, really just trying to build an environment that would help me, um, do whatever I could to try to, uh, make it work. But that one great thing that happened was, and I'm so thankful, the doctor that I went to referred me to a specialist after two. And sometimes I know they make you wait till three, but thankfully it was after the second one. And I got to go to a reproductive endocrinologist and, oh my gosh, that just, I got to do like the little biopsy thing. And it turned out that I needed progesterone and I needed uh, baby aspirin for some heterozygous, I can't remember anymore, but it was like a blood thinner, heterozygous genetic something. But anyway, it made me feel so much better to be under the care of, to have like some steps. Here's what we're going to do this time. We're not just going to throw you out to the, you know, whatever, and just see what happens. We're not rolling the dice anymore. We're going to at least like, you know, put some, put some things in your favor that we see might be an issue. So, um, so sure enough, I guess it was like March. I found it. I was March, no, April found it. I was pregnant and optimistic, but also freaking out because I was not, I hadn't really dealt with the anxiety. Unfortunately, it had just gone away because we weren't trying. So, you know, once the pregnancy happened again, I think all those hormones really just trigger a lot of natural mood fluctuations in me. Anyway, I'm, I might be one of those people that's just that's a symptom of pregnancy and that's for so me. common. It's yeah. yeah. And so I started bleeding again on the third one Ugh. and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know? Around the same and, timeline where these all yeah, just kind of start bleeding around the same time. time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
same time. And so I went to my reproductive endocrinologist and he said, you've got a subchorionic bleed. It could go either way. And they hadn't said that previously. They had said that. They actually did say that on the second one. Okay. But at the time they said it, they said, we don't know if it's just because you're miscarrying Mm. and that's just pulling away or if that was actually there while the baby was alive. Like, we don't know. So, so I, uh, so the doctor told me to go on bed rest. He's like, you're going on bed rest. And I'm like, what? You know? Like, okay. So I went on three weeks of bed rest. Uh, and I was so, oh my, it was such a battle. It was such a mental battle for me because I was a mess. I was in my third pregnancy. I'm on bed rest at the beginning of the pregnancy. I'm like, this is not when people go on bed rest. They go on bed rest at the end when they like know they're going to have a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's what I had always, that's what I had always experienced or heard about people on bed rest is it was like the end of their pregnancy. And they were just trying to, you know, keep the baby in. But I, don't, I know that's not the case. But at my young 25-year-old self, I was like, oh, no. You know, and this was this was before, like, like right at the very beginning of the Internet. <laughs> not at the beginning of the Internet, but of, I just yeah, had this memory. Of, like, forums. Uh, and- I have, I have, yes. <laughs> I have this memory of, like, we had this, like, 100-foot-long, um, um, one of those little cables that were blue that you can plug into the computer so that I could lay on the bed <laughs> and look at the internet from the bed. Cause like there was no wifi at that time, you know, everything had to be wired. So, um, I camped out on the bed for three weeks and the bleed resolved. It was, it was the best. It, it went away. It went away. And so it was like, Oh my gosh, this is going to happen. This might happen, you know, and it started to get really real. And, um, I decided to actually, go back to this doctor that I had seen in college or maybe the first year of working that I liked in Dallas, even though we lived like an hour away from Dallas, I was like, you know what? I'm going to drive back to this doctor in Dallas because I really liked him. And he was a good guy. He's the only, you know, uh, OB that I have any kind of relationship with at this point. So I'm going there. And so he was um, really sweet, nice guy, very patient. Pregnancy went along wonderfully, but he was also, um, I don't think he was very, I think he was a pretty conservative doctor when it comes to letting things happen naturally. Like, I don't think he, he likes that much mm-hmm. come to find out. So, Did you know that at the time? Was that a priority to you? No, I was just like, I just want a baby. <laughs> like, I just want a baby, you know? And I have a mom who had two C-sections. Um, And she had always been told she had a bone in her birth canal, so she couldn't have the babies. That's what they told her in the 80s. And so I was under the impression that, well, maybe maybe that's just what's going to happen to me. You know, like maybe I have the same body structure. And um, so I I didn't know anybody that like really had babies. Like I didn't know I didn't have that family like um, knowledge, I would say. Okay. So I had the baby. Oh, okay. So yeah, no, wait, wait what? <laughs> so I had the baby. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Like back up. Wait, end of the pregnancy. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Okay. End of the pregnancy. We went, I went to like 40 weeks and six days. He wouldn't let me go any longer. He was like, baby's measuring big. We're going to induce first babies come late. I induce all the time, blah, blah, blah. You know? So we did the entire medical night before thing where they come in and they do the 
little tablet or whatever. I don't know what they put up. I don't know what they do anymore, but to di- to start the dilation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pitocin and, and all of it. And, you know, just labored the whole day. I actually got fully dilated and, and started pushing uh, toward the end of the day. And um, the doctor was was concerned because every time I would push, he said there were D cells, which I guess are decelerations of the heart rate. Um, and he and he was like, I don't want to do this. Let's just do a C-section. It's like 6 p.m. at night, too. It was six or seven, maybe eight. No, it was eight. it was later. And I, I suspect I suspect I mean that it was just it was he didn't he wasn't comfortable with it, what where it was going, whatever. We did the C-section. Uh, wasn't a pleasant experience. I didn't enjoy it. Um, you know, I don't know if either one of you have had a C-section, mm-hmm. but they um, they just, they load you with medicine. I ended up throwing up um, because of the medicine. And um, I was shaking and I was so in and out of it. I was just so like, unaware of what was really happening. And I remember they pulled him up and they showed him to me and they took him away. And I didn't even, he was born at nine fifty one, and I didn't even hold him that day. I didn't hold him because one, I did not feel capable of holding him. I was so drugged up. I was like, there's no way I could hold a baby. You know, so I didn't even see him until two or three o'clock in the morning, the next morning, uh, in the middle of the night, I guess, when they brought him into nurse. And, um, so that, that was, that was okay, but it definitely wasn't what I had um, envisioned mm-hmm. for birth. It wasn't pleasant and um, super sore from the incision and and everything. But I was just really happy to have a baby, and so um, you know we stayed in the hospital. One the one perk, okay, the one perk of the C section was we stayed in the hospital like five days. So we got a lot of help at the beginning because we were both brand new parents. And I just, I laugh sometimes because there was this moment, <laughs> there was this moment where I was crying. My husband was crying. The baby were, was crying. And we were <laughs> like, what's going on? I have no idea. Oh my, everybody's just, everybody's crying in the room and the nurse has to come in and <laughs> help everybody because we're all just like, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. The baby We've been we've we've been talking about that even recently with other guests where it's like especially you know we've talked to some NICU moms where it's like you know you spend weeks or even months in the NICU and then you're supposed to go home and like do this by yourself but I think that's true of any parent (laughs) and I was just watching with friends last night there's this show called Life in Pieces and there's just this little snippet where like they're in the car taking the baby home and they're both just like you know she's hormonal and they're panicking and she just goes. how is this hospital letting us take this baby home? They should lose their license. Like, he's like, I didn't hold a baby until like, I've never held a baby before yesterday. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. That's so true. Yeah. That so show true. has such funny, good early parenting moments. Yeah. <laughs> that we, you know, we went home and, um, I mean, that's when, that's when the huge like life shift happens. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, you know, I was exhausted from, um, everything, the whole thing. And then I just remember the day, the first day he was home, I just remember crying to my mom going, mom, I breastfed that baby all day yesterday. That's all I did. And I have to do it again today. <laughs> like I was so, I mean, it was just, I, I hadn't mentally prepared for 
uh, that. <laughs> and um, just looking back on it, I laugh now, but it was, you know, it was hard. It was hard to get used to just that you have to think about something with every decision you make in your day. Uh, when that, that wasn't the case, you know, a week ago, it was like, I can go to the movies, I can go to Walmart, I can, you know, walk outside. <laughs> now it's like, well, okay, first I got to, you know, you just have to shift all that stuff. And it's a beautiful transition. It's a hard transition, but it's beautiful. And so, um, you know, rocking and rolling along in motherhood. Um, and then we decide to have another one. And I guess during the, during the first year, back and forth, just that new mom struggle, getting used to having a baby. And I found some amazing mothers, young people that had just had babies that I was able to talk to. And it just felt good to not feel so alone in, in that transition. Because I think that's, you know, a lot of times you're and like, no one understands the, tr the transitions you're making except other people that are doing it. And, and people forget, like I look back now and I smile and I laugh about it. I might not be the best person for a brand new mom to talk to because I'm like, Oh, it's so cute. You know, like, but no, that's not, you know, Oh, I remember those days. But when you're in it, it's nice to have other people that are in it with you to talk to. Um, and I just remember really, really benefiting from some, some friends that, that were right there or a year ahead, you know, and they could, Give me that perspective that I needed so badly, but we had our, we, we got uh, pregnant second time and I started to go back to the same doctor and I had already decided that I think I wanted to do a VBAC. I was interested in it. And what made um, you interested in that? Cause that it, you know, when you describe your first, um, birth experience, it sounds like you hadn't thought too much about that sort of thing. So what changed between the two? You know, that is such a good question. I felt like I wasn't a part of, um, like, because I was so out of it for the C-section, I didn't feel like I was really experienced the birth. Mm. I felt like it happened to me. It was, it was, and I think, I think a lot of it too was that I got all the way to pushing. I was so close. Like I was at the finish line, like I was pushing. And so I felt a lot of motivation from that. I was like, I was really close. Like it wasn't because I didn't even think, I didn't even think I, I had these thoughts in my head that I was like, I'm not going to get there. This isn't going to work. My mom couldn't have, right. you know, babies. I can't do it either. Cause you know, I just had a lot of like those kind of thoughts. And in it my sounds head. like you also on some level, at least in retrospect, felt like you weren't fully convinced that the reason you were given for the C-section was totally valid. Yeah, it, it didn't. Um, Oh, but, oh, oh my gosh. I almost forgot one of the funniest things. Okay. When they did the C-section, I got to go back. When they did the C-section and they opened me up, my child was actually clamped on holding onto the umbilical cord with both of his hands. <laughs> and so he was the reason for the D-cells. Every time there was a contraction, he would squeeze oh my his gosh. umbilical cord. <laughs> You're like, no, and not so I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, what? Why did you do that? You know? mm -hmm. He did not want to come That's out. That's so funny. <laughs> Cutest thing ever. I mean, I have to laugh about it. But um, anyway, they. Um, but back to the second time, it seemed like I was close and I wanted to experience birth because I, I almost just wanted to prove to myself that my body could do it. And it felt like if I could actually give birth, it would it would boost my confidence in my ability and my womanhood and in, in me being a woman and me like 
being able to do this. And I felt like, I mean, not that that's a defining factor, but I think it's an experience and I wanted Mm -hmm. to have it, you know, like I wanted to have that experience if I could. Um, I guess I I think a lot of women fall very differently on, on the topic. Some women don't prioritize that. And some women have a higher priority for um, that experience. And that's totally fine. But I just, I guess I just started to grow more interested in experiencing the full, there's the whole birth, like, why not? You know, and I kept reading things that said, it's totally, it's safe. You know, your chance of uterine rupture is like super low. It's actually safer than a repeat C-section. And most of the time, things like that. So I was like, well, you know, let's do that. And so I um, went back to the same doctor and lo and behold, I started, I got pregnant again, same exact time in the pregnancy. I started bleeding again. So I was like, oh no. <laughs> so I went back to the doctor and, uh, you know, he didn't make me go on bed rest because I guess his um, opinion was different about it. But I think I took it really easy. I can't remember what happened. I remember he sent me a letter and he basically fired me from his practice. He said, doesn't, yeah, I remember that. that yes. He sent me a letter. I can't remember what happened, but I just remember. Is it because you wanted to have a vaginal birth? I think so. I think it was because I had started talking more and more about that. Yep. And and I I like to believe that he did it for a good reason. He did it because he knew he wasn't deep down the doctor. That he really wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't the right that. doctor for you if <laughs> if that's what you yeah. wanted. And so he kind of broke up with me because he knew that I was I was scared and I was like not I was going to basically choose a C section to keep him and he could tell I'm, I'm choosing to believe he could tell how much I wanted to yeah. try for a VBAC. So it was kind of like the only way I was going to be brave enough to actually change doctors and actually, uh, you know, assert my um, desire for this was to, yeah. to leave his and, and whatever his motivation so, was, like the, the if, you know, the sum effect of that was that it did give you both the courage and sort of the necessity of finding someone that could be supportive. So that's, you know, a, a really positive thing. Uh, yeah, it turned out to be really good. It was the right decision. Um, it hurt my feelings because I'd never been, you know, I've never been Dumped like, by a doctor. Like, was I just like a horrible patient? Am I just like the worst patient ever? You know, like I thought I was not I'm like, but right. I had to let go of that. And, um, and, um, and so then I, and I do want to say too, it's very common, still very common, even though, you know, we've talked, we interview feedbacks are becoming more prominent or more available, it is still very common to see a provider, especially if it's the provider you had had previously and for them to kind of say, Oh yeah, we can try, we can do that. But as the pregnancy progresses, they either personally aren't a huge fan of managing feedbacks or they just don't do a lot of them. And for them to kind of start talking you back from it, that's very common. And I used to feel like what evil villainous people, <laughs> but now I, I understand it more maybe from being just in the practice environment that there are people who are not comfortable with it. I just wish that they would do exactly what you said, which is say like, yeah, give you I'm an not answer. Telling you, yeah. Yeah. Or just say like, I'm not telling you that you cannot do this. I'm telling you that that's not something I do in my practice. Mm-hmm. So it'd be better for yeah. you to find someone else. Yeah. It, like I wish, I wish that that's how it happened. It didn't happen at like 36 weeks and then you're or you just to find go, another yeah, doctor. Or you just like but, give up because yeah. you know, you're like, okay, well it's too, you feel like it's too late. Today's episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix has been our favorite personal stylist for a long time, and now you can get your fix during pregnancy or postpartum as well. Here's how it works. 
you start by creating a simple style profile with your size, your preferences, your price range, and then you request a fix whenever and however often you want. There's no subscription required. You could use it once during your entire pregnancy or every single month. And the best part, your stylist chooses a wardrobe selection that shows up on your doorstep and you keep only what you love. That means no going to Target, <laughs> no leaving the house um, in your PJs. And shipping is free both ways and it's really easy to return anything that you don't want or need. If you're listening and you're not pregnant, Stitch Fix is also available for regular non-maternity styles too. In my experience, their stylists are really good at picking items that work for your budget, style, and body type. Head over to motherbird.co slash stitchfix to learn more, sign up, and even support the podcast at no extra cost to you. Or you just feel like, why am I even asking yeah, for this? You start to question. I should your, just yeah. be happy. I can, yeah, I can just be happy to have another yeah. baby. You know, like you start to feel bad for wanting the experience when, you know, I, I don't know. It was a good thing. It was honestly a really good thing. I cried a little, I cried a while about it, you know, cause I was like, I can't believe it. Um, but it turned out to be the best thing because I got involved with, I can, and I think I was already, I was already on their forum and learning. And so I was, I was asking him a lot of questions and I think he was starting to get annoyed with like, she's really serious about this. She's asking if she can move around during labor. Like I don't have to, you know, I just don't know if he was into that. And that's okay. You know, everybody has the right to practice, I guess, how they want, as long as they're within the good, you know, the good zone of doctoring. Um, it's a technical term, yeah, the, the good zone of doctoring. Yeah, that's I, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I found ICANN and thankfully it was the time of the internet forum because they had a very active forum and I learned which doctors in Dallas were, were, pro VBAC, which doctors, the women that wanted VBACs went to. And I, I made an appointment and I went to, um, one of the doctors and he was like, oh yeah, you know, and we can, there's no reason we can't try this. You know, you're an excellent candidate. And, and so I switched doctors and, um, and so the pregnancy, oh, the, the, um, subchorionic bleed cleared up again after, after it all had to go away. It, it just, cleared up again. And the rest of the pregnancy was perfect and easy. And, um, and I actually, um, got to experience going into labor naturally, which was really cool. Um, and it's just a neat, it's just a neat experience to have that moment where you're like, I think this is it. I, you know, like that was just a cool experience in itself to actually, um, have that memory of, wow, well, I just had a Philly cheesesteak sandwich and we were watching our little one play and I kept, like going, Oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is not it. You know, just all that back and forth of is this happening? And, um, it ended up happening and we, um, went to the hospital and I, I was, um, dilated and I actually progressed really, really quickly. I had never intended on my whole plan was like, I'm going to get an epidural after like five centimeters. Oh, back up. I'd actually hired a doula, um, to help, which, which that was. And you so did not huge. with your first, have, is that correct? No, not at all. So the second time around, based on the recommendation of ICANN and just all that, I had hired a doula because I wanted, I wanted somebody to help me be brave. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted somebody to help me be brave because I knew that I, I didn't really have the support of my family. Um, I mean, not, not that I didn't have the support. I didn't, 
not have the support. They just weren't, they didn't go either way on it. They're like, whatever you want to do, you know, I don't, they didn't see the importance in it. I didn't, maybe I didn't express the importance because I was kind of afraid to do that too. Be like, I really want to do this, you know? Um, No, I think that that is a really important role that a doula can play. Like you said, it's like, she was like the person that I would go to when I, when I was having doubts and reminded me why I want to do this, why it's a good thing, blah, 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 you know, all the good stuff. I love that she made you brave. That's really beautiful. She did. She really did. Forever grateful. And I also had an, a friend, a, a woman that, that, uh, locally that sat down and met with me and she had the same experience. You know, I found another woman that had had a feedback and she was, she was so encouraging to me. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't say enough good stuff about, about having people, having those people, surrounding yourself with those people. And she, she was so, so encouraging and so helpful. And um, anyway, I went into labor. Labor happened really fast. Um, accidentally made it to nine and a half centimeters without an epidural, which was not part of my <laughs> and plan And then they're like, it's all. too late. That was accidentally. No, and thank goodness they didn't say that. They did not say that. There was no, it's too late. They gave me the epidural. Cause I was, I was not doing well. It was, it was really painful. I did not have any breathing. I did not have any, any sort of training in natural childbirth. It was really, really, really painful. And so got the epidural and it was a blessing because, um, I was so like in pain that I actually couldn't get all the way there. But once I got the epidural, it actually relaxed my body so that I could fully dilate. Um, cause I was, was like stuck in that last half centimeter for like a couple of hours before, before the epidural. And then when I got the epidural, I took a nap and woke up and it was time to push. And that was, mm-hmm. that was really nice. So that was really good. I just, I wasn't, um, that wasn't part of my plan to do. I wanted to make it as long as I could, but it was, everything went so fast. It was longer than I expected or anticipated, yeah. but got to push. I got to, uh, baby came out, you know, and, and I, the doctor, there was one moment where the heart rate went kind of low and the doctor was kind of like, ah, but he was like, wait, keep going. And it felt like he like, it kind of felt like it was the exact same moment because it was a big D cell and the, the number was dropping very low, but this doctor was willing to ride it out and, and, um, and it worked and baby came out. Uh, he was, um, I guess is it sunny side up? What's that called when they're yeah, not sunny the right side way? Up, posterior and face up. Both both of my yeah, kids were like yeah, that. That's um, extra hard work. And so I think that's why mm-hmm. it hurt a whole lot. Like, <laughs> yep, been there, so, done that. Inside, yeah. yeah. So, um, oh, I just remember the moment. It was just the best moment of my life when when like I just remember like you know I pushed and the head was out and I was like Eric, oh my gosh look and he, and he was like um you know kind of like a little queasy about it because <laughs> I don't think he was planning on that I mean he he's not that type that wants to see it all but I was looking and I was like oh my gosh and I pushed and the baby came out and they put him on me and it was just the sweetest little moment ever it was just it was amazing and it felt it just felt like um hmm. it felt totally different it was totally different mm-hmm. experience for me. And it felt like all those years that I doubted my ability to do this, I actually did it and it worked. My body works, <laughs> you know, like it felt so good um, for me. I mean, and, yeah. and, and 
I hope when I say that, that, that no one ever feels bad if they couldn't do that. You know, if they couldn't have a baby, I don't want anybody to ever feel bad. Like, oh, your body doesn't work. Yes, it does. But for me, I just really wanted, I just, I don't know. I just always really doubted myself and it felt like I tried, it worked. This is cool. I've gotten to experience both, both, um, both I've gotten both experiences. And, and so I was just really, really happy, you know, after each, after looking back after, I don't know, after that experience, I just felt, it felt like it kind of healed some of the, the hurt and the pain that I'd gone through at the beginning of it all, because I felt like I, I just, the whole thing had happened and it had worked and it just, I don't know, can't say it worked enough. I just feel, I was so happy. It was really one of the best moments. It, It was, it was just, it was a great moment. Of course, all births are, but, but the VBAC was yeah. extra special. And I think it's totally okay to feel a lot of pride in that. And I think, you know, I know what you're saying and saying, like, I'm not saying if you don't have a vaginal birth or you don't have birth, but I think, like you said, you, that was your moment. That's a moment in your life that you got to claim your body as um, healed and not broken. Absolutely. And I think that that's really yeah, beautiful I think and we're that, celebrating. That we... You know, because the the experience of of women is so diverse, and and there is especially, you know, now maybe I don't know if more than ever is true, but you know, it feels like there's you know there's so many experiences of trauma, and and you know really you know so many people have fertility challenges and and you know pregnancy losses and um, you know these birth situations that unfold in really unexpected ways. And I think that, you know, our, I mean, our, (laughs) our greatest desire in this podcast is to honor and hold space and even celebrate all of those different, um, paths and all of those different experiences. And, and so it's, you know, it's tricky to, to do that. And yet still, like you said, really be, to feel, to feel proud and exciting and, and very, um, glad that, you know, that you had the experience that you had and to accept the healing that was in that for you. You know, I think that, and I, mm-hmm. go ahead. And I think part of it for, part of it for me was that I had the choice to try it and I tried it mm-hmm. because I think sometimes people just don't even have the choice and that doesn't make them any less of a woman or any less of a mother. Uh, if, if they're not given that choice, but for me, it was like, you have the option to try this and, and brave and and trying it and it working out was really just it was really you know I don't know what the word is but it just made so it empowering it was redemptive I guess for yeah, me empowering yeah empowering and redemptive those are yeah redemptive is yeah, a good word too was, so so yeah we had two two we're blessed with two beautiful healthy boys and um and that's where we stopped with biological yeah. <laughs> children <laughs> And now, now we're on to foster parenting. When did you um, start foster parenting? We started foster parenting as kind of a compromise. Um, my husband didn't really want any more kids. I kind of did. Um, and I just kind of thought, well, you know, and I, and I looked at my, I looked at my experiences and all the emotional um, postpartum stuff that I, that I went through with both of the kiddos after their birth. Um, and I said, you know, I'm okay with um, foster parenting because as odd as this is, it's like I never grew up. I didn't grow up 
in, in any kind of foster parenting environment. I didn't know any foster parents. I didn't know any foster kids, even though I probably did, didn't know they were foster kids. So as we moved to this town and I made some mom friends, um, I began to see, uh, what fostering was. And I realized there's just children of all ages, of all races, um, that, that need families. And I guess growing up, I'd always just thought foster parenting was like older kids that um, were really hard. And I didn't realize there were so many young children, babies, that that just need a place to be. And so we have two boys. And I said, well, it'd be fun to have a girl. Um, so let's foster girls. And went through the entire process. And um, we got our first placement. She was an eight month old in 2015, uh, April of 2015. And, um, it was, I don't, I mean, I could, I could go on and on about foster care, but, um, it has been one of the best things I've done in regard to parenting. It has taught me, uh, so much about love because it's a different, it's a different love, um, than your own children. You know, you're, you're kind of obligated to love your own kids Uh, and, and stepping up and saying, I'm going to love this child. This child is not mine. This situation is not mine, but I'm going to love this kid and I'm going to take care of this kid. And I'm going to step into this mess that this family is in right now um, and try to help. Uh, It has been just one of the best things I think for myself and my family, it feels Foster care feels very real. It feels like you're doing big, real things in a world that sometimes we, we feel like we can get caught in a lot of meaningless stuff. Um, it feels like it's not only helping the child, too. It's, gosh, it's just sending a message of goodness to all the people in the whole family. Like, um, because I get to know them and I, I, my heart breaks for them. I think about them and I know that. Um, they love their kid. It's so strange because every time a child comes to your home, you, you're excited and you're happy the child's there, but you're also, your heart's also broken too because you know somewhere someone is devastated and has had their child taken from them today. Um, and so we foster, we're licensed foster to adopt. So far we have not even had a case where it's gone to adoption. Um, all of our cases have ended in reunification with, with a family member or fictive kin, which is a person that's like a family member. Which is um, the, really the goal of fostering is that, that it is yeah. the goal and it changed. Yeah. It changed me. Cause it feels like when I stepped into foster care, I was like, I want to adopt a little girl. That's what I want, you know? But as I've done it, the longer I've done it, you gosh, you just start to realize it's yeah. not about you. It's not about yeah. me at all. It's, about them and it's about their family and it's about what's best for them and it's about being what they need not what I need not what I want but just being what they need whether that's a place for two weeks two months you know it is um it's been a really uh wonderful experience I hope that if if we find somebody that needs a forever home I hope it works out but I'm also okay with the idea that you know, we just get the experience of having a daughter through lots of little girls, lots of girls at different times in their lives. And we just have this whole arsenal of little people that we love, you know? So 
it's been really, it's been amazing. Um, I'm 36 now. And sometimes I get scared because I'm like, oh, I, you know, I want one more kid. I want one more kid. I don't know if I'm, I'm like at this magical age where I'm like, I'm, I'm like at the end of, it feels like I'm at the, it's like that number 35 is drilled right. in your head. Um, so, so aggressively. It's like, you have to have all your children by your 35th birthday, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm in this place where I'm like, oh gosh, part of me is like, we got to have one more baby before it's too late. This is our last chance, yeah. honey. You know, but then the other part of me is like, no, if we had a baby, we can't be foster parents anymore. We got to keep that place open for those little people out mm-hmm. there, you know? So that's kind of my little place that I'm in right now. Just, just, um, you know, my kids being six and eight, you just start to see that they're all grown up and, and they're, and you're like, am I ready for this to be the you know, am I ready to, to say no more babies or am I going to trust that the foster care system, that I'm going to help some people, it might not turn out the way that I might want, but I'm going to do a lot yeah. of good along the way, you know? So that's where I am. That's right really now. beautiful. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if we ever figure it out completely, but I'm just going to trust that we will, regardless, if we choose to continue to be foster parents, regardless of what happens, we will help people. And we will do good in the world. And that's just what I want to do. So, mm, How have your boys done with having foster kids in your home? They do well. Our last placement was a little bit harder because we took two. We have two boys and we took two little girls. And so we had four kids. <laughs> that was hats off to all the mothers of, of four plus children. I am amazed at, at, at it is like, it's, it's full, full, full-time job. Um, but I will say that it was hard because we had a three and a half year old who was used to being the oldest child come in and be number three on the totem pole. You know, she was the third oldest in our home. So there was some, a little bit of battling of the firstborn wills, um, willpower type struggles, but, um, they've done wonderful. And our first little foster daughter that we uh, thought we were going to adopt, it, it was it just, the adoption thing fell apart. Everything changed last minute, but we still have a relationship with her. She comes and she stays. I pick her up from daycare on Fridays and she comes and she stays the weekend and we call her our bonus cousin. Um, so they still, they know as they've gotten older, I've, I've talked to them more honestly about what's going on with the families, um, why these children are in foster care. Cause when they're very little, you just explain the their mommy and daddy are sick and they're getting better. Um, but as they've gotten older, I've shared more about, you know, here's, here's the reality. Here's, here's your eight year old version of the reality of this situation, you know? And so I love foster care because it is something that our entire family can do to help others. Um, it's not just me going out and volunteering. It's everyone in our family is a foster family for that child. You know, my kids are the foster brothers. They get to help and they get to love and they get to, um, see. And I just, I want them to know that family is not defined by blood. Um, and that we can love people and we can help them. And, um, you know, and I I like, they see me cry. They see me cry when they leave and they, they, um, they see the hurt, but, but, I don't know. Just, I mean, it was only three weeks ago that I was boohooing about the two little ones leaving, but sometimes I think in sadness, we, sadness is fueled by love. Um, I mean, 
anytime we're sad, it's because we loved something or someone. And, and that's, that's the best thing in the world is love. And so to feel sadness is just an indication of, of the love that abounds everywhere. So I don't know. I just, I hope, I hope that we continue to do it. And I hope that we continue to help those kiddos. It's hard. It's very hard because you, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> you know, you have no idea what's going to show up. And that's a little scary. Um, usually I seem to have like a panic attack the first night, <laughs> every night we get a new place. And I wake up in the middle of the night, like, Oh my gosh, what do we do? What's going to happen? But, but then it all turns out fine. And, and we get into our groove and, and everything just, we just, we just start moving and we just take on, take on that, that challenge. And, and we just ride the little roller coaster with them. I, I'm curious if you can share any practical ways, um, that you have learned to find the balance between really protecting the emotional wellness of your sons while also really making space for the emotional needs of your foster children. Because I, you know, that example that you gave was, was really, sounds really simple. Like, oh, you've got, you know, two children and two children, and they both have their own sort of hierarchy of, of, you know, leadership and, and integration and all these different things from their different family structures. And now we're blending them together, but this is also, we know temporary. So like, how do you find that balance in like allowing your, you know, your oldest son to, um, you know, kind of protecting his, his like place in the family while also making like recognizing that it is really significantly altered for this season. Does that make sense? Oh Yeah. Um, well, our foster, we have a wonderful agency with just, um, the most inspiring people that run it. And and one of the things that they told us at the very beginning is do not break birth order. Like do not, you know, get a kid that's older than your oldest. Um, it will throw them for a loop. So, so even when we have, you know, my sons are eight and six and when we have a four and a two-year-old, uh, the eight and six-year-old are the biggest, they're still the biggest. It didn't, they, they like bickered a little bit, but I just really, it was a good coaching opportunity for me, for my oldest, because he can be very hard headed. And it's like, look, honey, I know that, that you might feel frustrated that, that she's doing this, but let's remember that she's, she's not, she's in a completely new house and she doesn't know us. She, She has a family somewhere that loves her and she misses them. And she might not be expressing that, you know, in the right way it's been a really wonderful teaching opportunity for my own two children. Just, just to teach them empathy and, and understanding that people are different and they come from different places and they have different experiences. And, and uh, that's what I hope to really teach my two boys is just that it's our job to love and to help these children. And, and we've had kids, our kids have been pretty young. I mean, the, the oldest we've had is three and a half and they're still they don't come with two. We haven't had any. We've been lucky. We haven't had any that have had huge behavior problems. We've had normal kids that have likely just been neglected, and and they just their parents usually. I mean, sometimes the parents love them. In every case, the parents have loved them. It's just it's been an addiction problem or, or whatever else has been the struggle. And so it's been a wonderful opportunity for me to to, to inspire my children to, to extend kindness to others, even when maybe they're not acting in a way that we like, we have to remember that there's a reason they're acting that way. And it's because they, they haven't learned the same things that you've learned. 
You know, they come, they came from a different family and they might not have been paid attention to the way that you have, you know, and things like that. So. Never tell them, you know, they might be here forever. Um, I never tell them that. It's always just they need us for a while. Their family needs to get help in this, you know, and so we just do that. And then we, um, they're sad when they leave, but thankfully we've, we've been able to, um, follow up. And one of my, one of the foster kiddos that we had actually goes to the same school that my kids go to. So we see her all the time, you know, it's like, hi, sweetie, you know, and she runs and gives us a hug and, and, um, we'll be able to watch her grow up, uh, because we're in the same town, which is interesting. It wasn't great when we were in the foster situation, but it's Mm. wonderful now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is really, really beautiful to think about that, that long-term effect. And you hear stories of people who were foster children who have, you know, maybe lived in 20 different foster homes and they have that one family, that one mom that like made the difference for them and that they still have a relationship with as an adult, or even if they don't, that they still like that was the person who was an anchor in their life. And, and despite the challenges that they went through, you know, that they look back on that relationship as something that really, really gave them something that they needed and something they could hold on to in life. Um, so it's really, really beautiful, you know, to, to. And that's, that's what they say is, is if you can teach a child to attach, if you teach the child to attach to someone and to feel that love and to feel that attachment to, um, a mother or a parent, it doesn't matter if, if they leave, they will carry that ability to attach with them forever. And they have to develop that skill, um, in order to develop uh, emotionally. So it's the work of attachment. That's what our foster care lady says all the time. You're doing the work of attachment, you know? (laughs) Well, it does sound like you have a great agency. (laughs) It's a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful agency. And I've, I've had a wonderful experience. I, um, with it. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, I encourage anyone that's listening that might just be curious about it to see, to see if, you know, look online, see if there's an agency. And even if you don't want to be a foster parent, you can be what's called a respite care provider, which means that you just help foster parents when they need someone to keep a child. Or maybe the agency needs someone to keep a newborn for two weeks before, you know, there's a gap between when a family can take the baby and when the baby gets out of the hospital. And so there, there's a lot of wonderful ways to to get involved if you're interested. I know it's not everyone can take foster children. It's hard. But I encourage everybody to look into if they're if they feel called or interested in in helping in that way. It's a wonderful opportunity for families to give to other families. It's kind of just Mm. families helping families. That's what I tell people. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I, I love that sort of that, that call to action, if you, if you will, like just, just because I think that, I think it seems like, a, I think for most people, foster parenting seems like a thing that certain people do, you know, special people do like you have mm-hmm. to be a saint or you have to be like perfectly set up or you have to be, you know, like everything has to be a certain way. And I, I love 
I love that you, the way you've described it makes it seem like, okay, this is not only really necessary and really important, but also like totally doable. And there are different ways you can be involved. And I, I think that that's so important for people to hear, because I think even for myself, I've often thought like, gosh, you know, I, I wish I could do something like that, but no, I couldn't, that would not be, you know, like, you know, and that's so funny because I, I was never foster parenting was never on my radar until maybe 2014, 2015. And, and it, it was never something I thought I would do. It was never something I thought about until, until I just, and I don't know if it was divine intervention that these people were put into my life to show me what foster parenting really was instead of what I thought it was. And I, and I thought, you know what, I can do that. I could do that. I could try this. And, um, and it's just been, it's been an incredible experience in motherhood. It's a different experience because it's, it's mothering a child that's not your own with the ex- expectation that that child mm-hmm. is going to leave. And, and it's, it is, uh, it's just really given me a wonderful, I feel like my birth, my birth and my mothering experience have given me a lot of, um, I'm just blessed to be able to have all the experience in mothering. I mean, I've gotten to mother five kids that aren't mine and, and it's hard to love kids that aren't your own. I mean, it makes you very vulnerable, but it's also beautiful. It, it's so beautiful to, to, to love children that are not your own, but you feel like you feel so much love for them. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Evan. This will, I think will just be so inspiring for people to hear, you know, the story of your, I hope so. Of, you know, the evolution between your own birth experiences and then how the obviously deep well of love that you have inside of you has, has manifested in, in other ways in the years to follow. So thank you for, thank you for being brave and sharing your story today and, and so inspirational as well. Well, and I love what you, you girls are doing. Um, I just think that, you know, it's, it's hard to become a mother. It's a big life shift. And I love that you guys are spending time talking about it because I becoming a mother in 2010, I don't know if podcasts existed at that point. And I would have loved to have had this, this encouragement and this support in this community as I was making that transition. So I'm so glad you guys are doing what you're doing. (laughs) Keep it up. We will. <laughs> Keep it up. Keep on trucking. <laughs> we will. We will do that. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening today. Uh, you can connect with us on Instagram at motherbirth.co where we have lots of amazing, inspiring conversations with women and share a lot of great things with our community. Um, you can also check us out on our website. You can see the different um, the different things that we offer, including courses for women who have experienced pregnancy loss. If you're listening to this story and you resonate with uh, what Evan is saying and just sort of the, you know, the fear and the lack of trust that she experienced after her losses and, and the difficulties in her pregnancy, um, then we'd love for you to check out what we're doing over at um, our website. So thank you guys for listening today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. 
These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.